So Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy word. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then turning ahead to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. For many years, 1930 to 1966, the Scottish Reformed theologian John Murray was professor of systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. But often in the summers, he would visit a small congregation in Chesley, Ontario, a small village in central southern Ontario. In the UK, they would say it was the back of beyond. But John Murray loved the saints there, and he loved their pastor, Reverend William Matheson. And so it was that on November 6, 1957, John Murray traveled from Philadelphia to Chesley to preach at the funeral of Mr. Matheson. In that funeral sermon, Murray referred to five biblical passages 
which speak of the great gospel hope that believers have in Jesus Christ. And he ended that sermon by saying, this, uh, that is, speaking of those verses, that is the confident assurance we have with respect to our our departed friend. One of you has lost a husband. Some of you have lost a father. Some children not here present have lost a grandfather. Some of you have lost a pastor. All of you, if you only knew it, have lost a friend. There's a lot behind that statement. I don't know what it was, but all of you, if you only knew it, have lost a friend. I have lost the one whom I probably deemed my dearest friend on earth outside my own family. There was none on whom I relied for moral, spiritual, and prayerful support as on our dear departed friend. We can enter into that today. In losing Mr. Alexander last week, we've lost many things in many different relationships. He has gained glory. But we have lost. We have lost his presence with us, his company, his service in the church. But friends, the Bible tells us this afternoon that there is something we haven't lost. We have lost a brother in Christ, a good friend, and a faithful elder. And yet, there is an important sense in which Mr. Alexander is not lost to us. His life, his example, his faith, the faith which, with which he lived, continues to speak, even after he has died. In light of Hebrews 4.11, in a sense, Mr. Alexander, like Abel of old, still speaks. Not in some kind of mystical way, But as we remember our brother, and as we think of how he pointed us to the Word of God and to the Christ of Scripture, he still speaks. And we have a duty to listen. You actually have a duty to listen. Later on in the letter to the Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember your leaders. This is a command. Remember your leaders 
who spoke the word of God to you? Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The word consider means to look attentively at, to consider well, to observe accurately. And this is then both our duty and our blessing and privilege in this congregation. Hebrews chapter 4, 11 gives us this principle in the life of Abel. And we read his story from Genesis chapter 4. If you were to listen to Abel, what would you hear? You'd hear many things in the life of Abel. First, you'd hear that the holy God must be approached in holiness and in conformity to his will. After the fall, the worship of God had to include sacrifice for sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, their first recourse was an insufficient band-aid solution. They attempted to cover themselves with leaves, you remember. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. That would have been sufficient to cover their bodies, but it was totally inadequate to cover their sin. They tried to heal their wounds with an insufficient remedy. Jeremiah 6.14, they have healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. So God kills an animal and makes clothing for Adam and Eve. It's a picture of the covering the righteousness of Christ, as we heard in the catechism about justification. And so, according to the will of God, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Abel must have acknowledged that he was a sinner, that the just sentence of death was upon him, and unless an acceptable substitute would take his place, that sentence of death must be experienced by him. One writer said, Abel's sacrifice was a profession of his faith. By the death of the firstlings of his flock, he owned himself obnoxious to death on account of his sins. By shedding blood and offering the whole to God for himself, he professed his hope in the atonement to be made by the blood of the seed of the woman. In faith, he looked forward to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. If we would listen to Abel, we would hear that the holy God must be approached in holiness and in conformity to his will by the sacrifice that he has ordained. We would hear, secondly, that God must be approached in faith. Even the unrighteous, the unbeliever, can offer the right sacrifices technically. But if there is no true faith, there is no salvation. 
Proverbs 21.4 says of the everyday acts of those without faith, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, Proverbs 15.8. There needs to be right worship, true worship, but it must be heart worship. The righteous will live by faith. Abel would speak and tell us if we're listening that acceptance with God is a great gift. In Hebrews 11.4, it says God spoke well of him or God testified concerning Abel and his faith in offering the sacrifice that God had commanded. How God testified to that, we don't know. Perhaps God sent fire from heaven. He would do that later on. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 9, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They were amazed that the fire of God did not fall on them and consume them, but it consumed the sacrifice. Or in the life of Gideon, then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose up out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. It may have been something like that, or may have been a more direct approval as God spoke directly to Cain, we read. Perhaps he also spoke directly to Abel. God testifying to his faith, the gift that God had given If we listen to Abel, he would tell us that there will always be enemies of the faith. Here at the outset of humanity, it's Abel's own brother. Jealous of Abel's acceptance, angry at God's approval of his brother. One writer said, acceptance with God is a special and distinguishing favor, and those who obtain this favor from God must expect the envy and malice of the world. There will be opposition in the life of faith. But fifthly, lastly, if we have ears to hear, Abel, being dead, still speaks. And he would say that being faithful in this life will result in eternal vindication and reward. Abel's name, the name Abel, means vain or empty or futile. And there's a way that people could look at this and say, well, yeah, he lived up to his name. After all, what did his faith get him? What did following God do for him? Suffering and death. Cain lived and was shown even a degree of mercy by God. But it's not Cain's name that's in Hebrews chapter 11. It's Abel's name. Abel's name, the first name in the hall of the faithful, whose blood spoke up from the ground to the judge of all the earth. It was Abel's. God loved Abel, accepted him. There's so much that 
the spirit-opened ear can hear through the life of Abel. And of course, we have the record of Abel here and the interpretation of Abel's life in Hebrews 11.4 in the infallible word of God. But friends, every faith-filled Christian life speaks. It speaks of God's provision, the gift of saving faith to undeserving sinners. Speaks of God's provision of the Savior in whom we trust. Where is the lamb for the offering? Isaac said to Abraham. God himself will provide the lamb. And he did in Jesus Christ. Every faith-filled Christian life speaks of God's faithfulness. Through all the circumstances of life. Even when our faith is weak and wavering. He is faithful. He is faithful. Every faith-filled Christian life points to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And those kinds of faith-filled lives continue to speak even after the person can no longer speak to us. You wonder what the departed saints would tell us if they could come back for a moment to speak. But you know, the Bible tells us about that, doesn't it? When the rich man wanted Lazarus, to go back, to warn his brothers. What did Abraham say? Nope. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And that's what every person now in glory Every child of God now in glory, that's what they tell us. What Abraham said, believe the Bible. The Bible is true. You have a Bible. Believe it. Live by it. Learn it. Follow it. Let it be the light to your path and the lamp to your feet. That's what they'd say, wouldn't they? They'd say that this is the word of God, and God doesn't lie. All of his warnings are true, and all of his promises are true. And yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's what they'd say. Believe your Bible. Even when there would be enemies of our faith that would try to rob us, of faith, even the final enemy death, trying to feign a sting. No, God-given faith continues to believe and trust in a faithful Savior. 
who himself defeated death and sin and hell and the grave. As I think of Abel and the lessons that we learned from him about a life of faith, I think of the cloud of witnesses in our own congregation. We have the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. After Hebrews 11, it's Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That refers primarily to Hebrews 11. But in your own life, you've had faithful grandparents, perhaps, that you remember. Parents. Christian friends, husbands, wives. And they become part of that great cloud of witnesses, don't they? And they still speak. Their faith still speaks. I often think of many that have gone before. And in light of Hebrews 11.4, I say, Matt, are you listening? Are you listening to what they're saying? I think of Mr. Alexander, and his life still speaks. By God's grace, I think of the strength of his faith. No complaining that I ever heard. No self-pity. Humble, submitting to the will of God in his life. I continue to hear about the love that is the outworking of faith, faith working itself out by love, a love for others, a love for those who came to comfort him, and instead he tried to comfort and encourage them. And he speaks to me of the perspective of faith. Let me put it that way. I think if there was one thing that he repeated to me more than anything else in the last number of months, it was this. It's all about the kingdom. He would say it over and over to me. It's all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God. The perspective of faith. It's not about the kingdoms of men and nations. That faded from his sight and his attention. And he said, it's all about the kingdom of God. I saw a man who by faith was living out more and more the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts 
as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our brother, like Abel, still speaks. And as we think about those who have gone before, we would do well to take a moment to think of our own lives today. Robert Murray McShane, the Scottish pastor, said on one occasion, live so as to be missed. Live so as to be missed. Not in some kind of vain, self-glorifying way, but live in a way, by God's grace, that your life is faithfully fruitful. That your life demonstrates Trusting, loving, and serving Christ. Live so as to be missed. If you should go the way of all the earth before Christ returns, what will your life speak to those who remain? To your children, to your family, to your friends. By God's grace, may it be a word of faith. He was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a a believer in Christ. May it be a word of victory, a word of hope, a word of Christ. We sang the psalm about teaching the next generation. We do that while we live, and by God's grace, we live lives that continue to do it after we've died. Our lives will speak. It's true, not many may hear it. But if even only one other person does, and God uses that, what a blessing. But friends, most of all, the words that our lives speak are always heard by the one who dwells in heaven. He who made the ear, does he not hear? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with the gift of God-given, spirit-wrought, Christ-beholding faith, God's approval is on you, now and forevermore, as it was on Abel.